Welcome to Abridged Presidential Histories with Kenny Ryan. A special mailbag episode today where I'll be answering questions from y'all in the audience submitted over Twitter, email, or through podcast reviews on Apple. Posing these questions to me will be my wife, Deborah, joining us on the show for the first time. Hi, y'all. I've been practicing my y'alls. <laughs> Deborah has the questions from the audience in front of her. She's going to pose them to me as she likes. I should also mention uh, joining us. Extra here is our dog, Sasquatch, who if you listen really close during any awkward silences, you might hear her incessantly licking one of us. So, Yeah, I'm excited to uh, be putting you here in the hot seat, Kenny. So jumping in, we have your first question from someone whose handle is Gnome89 on Twitter. And they want to know, have you been to any presidential libraries or museums? And if so... Which do you like the best and why? Mm, good question. Thank you, Gnome89. Um, I've been to, I believe, three, uh, all in Texas, where I grew up. I grew up in Austin, and Austin is home to the LBJ Presidential Library at the University of Texas. At Texas A&M, where I went to school, is the George Bush Senior Presidential Library, and at SMU in Dallas, um, where I got a graduate degree, is the uh, George Bush Jr. Library. I'd say of those three, the best is easily the LBJ Library because it has a animatronic talking LBJ statue toward the end of the library. And when you walk up to it, it will tell you jokes. And do you the, remember any of them? They're they're they were like really slow jokes that like really develop, and then at the end is the punch and the laugh track. Um, but they're, they're pretty good. I remember being like, that's pretty good. Animatronic LBJ. This was worth the price of admission. We all aspire to have a laugh laugh track after we die for our jokes. I know because I won't be there to provide it anymore. (laughs) All right. Next question. Yeah. Um, Alicia from the civics and coffee podcast wants to know of the presidents you've covered so, so far. Who surprised you the most in terms of what you thought versus what you learned? That's a really good question, Alicia. Let me think on that for a bit. Who surprised me the most in terms of what I thought and what I learned? You know, I I was kind of surprised how crazy... Theodore Roosevelt comes off when you're reading about him. You know, we all know him. He's got this outsized personality. He's really fun. He's real great. Like, you can't help but like him. But also, when you read the things he said, you're like, this person might be insane. Uh, his obsession with war. He certainly, he's very much a man of his time. So he believed in some things around eugenics and race that you're now like, that's not good. Uh, and just his, his like constant go, go, go. Like, I mean, like, it's insane. So when you really start to learn, get to know TR more, he's still, there's still so much about him that you can't help but be like attracted to because it's just so crazy and colorful and, and different from everything else. But you also really do start to see some things that make you say, this person, if he was around today, I'm not sure I'd like him as much as I do. When he's like this crazy, fun grandpa who's dead in the mirror. Um, so I, I think it might be Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, and then as far as like unknown, there are plenty of presidents who I knew nothing about going into. And I think Chester Arthur is the one who I 
like the most of the people I just didn't know. So, like, I had no idea what to expect. But Chester Arthur's story, which just takes you through corruption far more than I expected any president ever to. Like, he was more corrupt than I expected anybody to be uh, when, when doing research for this podcast. And then for him to, at the very end, pull this 180 and the story around it, where, where a woman in New York writes some letters saying, you know, the president's dead. Chester Arthur, you're the vice president. You're about to inherit the Oval Office. The nation's in mourning, not because the other guy's dying, because they're freaked out about you becoming president. They all think you're going to fail, but I think you can change. You know, like, th- there's this really cool, compelling story in there, too. So Chester Arthur would be uh, another one that really surprised me. So Julia... What's her Julia name? Sand. Julia Sand. Yeah. Um, Who's from Dorne. Right. <laughs> I was actually... The, 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 you know, you go to Game of Thrones, I go to George Sand. I was like, other, you know, women with the last name Sand, who might be a, you know, nom de plume. But um, anyway, what was I saying? We're going to no cut idea. this part. No, I'm keeping this all. Oh, Julia Sand is the ultimate uh, growth mindset, like, icon. Like... I believe that you can change. Yes. Like, we don't have enough of that for each other in general. Uh, she could have written a really successful like self-help book you can change <laughs> later in life if she chose to. So something you brought up in that answer is going to lead me to the next question. Yeah. Vote Blue Wisconsin asks from Twitter, yeah. do any of the presidents have an unblemished record when it comes to their legacy regarding race? Uh, Vote Blue Wisconsin, this is a really good question. And I remember when I, when I got it in, me and Deborah even talking about it. We were walking, hiking around when, when this came in. And I was like, oh, this is a great question. And the, the first thought that came to my mind is every president is kind of a person of their time and place. And so if you're looking at today's perspective on race, nobody from the past is going to meet that. You know, the closest you're going to get is, is if you were like, I don't know, uh, Obama, you know, Biden. Like, people who are right now as president, like, what are they doing? Uh, because anybody else, like, th- this country just has such a bad track record for most of its 250 years uh, that if, if you look back there, you're going to see a lot of presidents who owned slaves, and then you're going to see a lot of presidents who weren't doing enough to help African Americans while the South was disenfranchising them. So if you're, if you're looking from today's standard... Who has the best legacy on race? You'd have to pick like a modern president. You'd probably have to say Obama. But if you're looking at who was the most exemplary for where the country was at their time and what they brought to the table, what they did, then you'd have to say (laughs) uh, Abraham Lincoln. I mean, obviously, the guy who freed the slaves, fought a civil war, won the civil war, kept the country together. Although, you know, the, the civil war... He wasn't at the time saying it was about slavery until later he did. Initially, he was all like, this is about preserving the union. Um, There's the famous quote, if I could uh, preserve the union and and free all the slaves, I'd do that. If I could preserve the union and not free all the slaves, I'd do that. He just wanted to preserve the union. But he, you know, I feel like that was a bit of rhetorical gamesmanship. I think he really did always want to free the slaves. And it opens up this whole interesting conversation about presidents and how they lead to our ideas and how they try to get people you know, to where they want to go. Because in a country that's democracy, you're not going to be elected by being too far ahead of the curve. You got to walk the public with you toward where you want to go. So, yeah, a lot of interesting thoughts come out of that question. I'd say modern sensibilities, 
Uh, you, you'd probably say someone like Obama. If you're saying who was most ahead of their time, you'd probably say um, Lincoln would be at the top of that list. By ahead yeah. of their time, do you really mean ahead of their electorate? Which is, the, that's kind of the same thing. Good good question. I feel like that is kind of the same thing. The The people of the time, like that's the electorate, you know? Is it though? Because many people didn't get to vote much of the time. So is the pe- is of the time the electorate or are those two distinct things, especially further back in our history? So very good point. I see what my wife's trying to do here. And uh, Deborah, what I'd say is, yes, sure. The slaves always wanted to be free. Absolutely. But if you were to take an amalgamation of the whole country, we're still different now than we were 200 years ago. And yes, the people who voted were the most unlikely to be uh, pro-frame the slaves. But um, if you take like the aggregate of where is the middle of the country? Obviously, it's it's everybody is for freedom now. So yeah, the country has changed. Yeah, it, it's still being ahead of your time. It's being ahead of electorate. It's being ahead of the time. That doesn't mean that you're ahead of every single person in the country, you know, being ahead of the time. Even even today, you could be right there in the middle of the electorate and there are other people ahead of you. You could be ahead of the electorate and there might still be somebody who's espousing ideas that in 60 years will be like, that's what everybody should have been doing 60 years ago. Only crazy Todd over in Rhode Island had those ideas, you know. Everybody else is just trying to play catch up to Todd. But, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts around that one. All right, moving on to Patrick from Portland. So Patrick from Portland asks two questions. The first is, who was the biggest presidential bust? In other words, who had the biggest gap between enthusiasm and expectations coming into the presidency? And then where they stood with the country post-presidency. Uh, that's a good one. I The first name that jumps to my mind is James Buchanan, <laughs> because uh, this is a guy who was incredibly experienced. You know, you, you think you're electing someone who can fix the country after a decade of bloody Kansas and all this acrimony between the North and South. He's a Northerner who gets along with the Southerners. You know, maybe this is the guy who can keep us out of civil war. And no, absolutely not. Like, civil war breaks out on his watch. Like bad so like that would be the first one that jumps to mind patrick from portland um his his vote was for hoover do you have any comment on that hoover is um that's a pretty good one because hoover was such like a wonder kid uh kind of before he came into office he was someone who was known during world war one he was leading a giant relief effort, getting food to all these starving people in Europe. He was known as a savior who, who kept Europe fed in a time of war. And in the 20s, he was in the uh, Coolidge administration. And he was the person in charge of the Mississippi flood relief. And he was, again, he was like taking care of people when things were going wrong. And so you would have almost have expected that when the Great Depression hits... That the best, per- like nobody knew when they were electing him, nobody was expecting Great Depression. They're just expecting, hey, this guy who's been really good at everything he does, he's, he's going to be a great president. Great Depression hits. Even knowing that, Hoover's probably like the first guy that you would be like, oh, he can take care of that. He helped with starving people uh, during World War One. He, he helped with the Mississippi floods. He's the person who is more involved than anyone else in government in alleviating the suffering. And he did try to like do more. He just didn't do enough. 
And so that's where, and, and he had some major mistakes, like his treatment of the Bonus Army in Washington, D.C. Uh, what? The Bonus Army. Deborah's giving me a look. Uh, the Bonus Army is all these World War I veterans who wanted, they, they basically had been promised since you served in World War I, uh, you all get life insurance policies that will pay out, and I think it was either like 1945 or when you die, whichever comes first. And it was going to be a big bonus. Thank you for your service. This was money that was slowly, this allowed the government to collect this money slowly over time and then pay it out. And it, it could put it somewhere where it could accrue interest. And when the Great Depression hits, all these veterans were like, okay, we need that money now. Can you pay it out now? We'd like you to pay it out now. And they marched to Washington, D.C. to lobby for this. And Congress picked it up, passed it, went to the Senate, got defeated in the Senate, about like 60 to 33 or something like that. And a lot of the veterans went home, but a lot of them stayed and were just kind of like hoping things would change. I mean, some of them didn't have homes to go home to because of the Depression. And <laughs> what does Hoover do? Uh, Hoover kind of being fed a bit of information from the army. The army telling him, these people who are left are dangerous, they're radical, they're communists, look out for them. So he says, all right, army, uh, you, and they had occupied some empty government buildings. So there were some government buildings that weren't being used. They, they had started sleeping in them. And they also had a, a shanty town across the river, basically, a Hooverville across the river. And so Hoover turned to General Douglas MacArthur, who was in charge of the army, and said, MacArthur, can you please um, get them out of the federal buildings? But don't cross the river. And MacArthur was like, you got it. Fix the bayonets, lads. Get the tear gas. And he pushed the guys, you know, all the veterans out of the buildings. And then he ignored the president's direct orders to go across the river and with, with fire and tear gas, burn down and clear the veterans Hooverville across the river. And that... Definitely was not good. Now, Hoover didn't say go across the river and burn it, but it happened on his watch. MacArthur was his guy. There was no punishment afterward for it. He did do the initial getting them out of the buildings. Uh, so th there were like mistakes like that that happened on his watch. So I, that, plus him just not quite doing as much as FDR would later do to fight the Depression, uh, it was a reason for him to be a, a great nominee to this Biggest gap between enthusiasm and expectations, someone who seems like one of the most qualified guys out there, um, and what reality happens when he's in office. Biggest disappointments. I think it's interesting, Patrick adds, and I think um, this is an interesting point, that we often forget how hopeful and excited we are when we elect someone. Um, and then if they, if they don't perform, they just, we just, history just looks back on them negatively and doesn't remember how no. excited the country was when they first were, um, coming into office. All right. Patrick's second question is inspired by the president who will be the center of your next episode, Kenny, Warren mm. G. Harding. Mm. So he asks, Harding was our first outright media man turned president. We've now seen actors, reality TV star stars, then cult catapult to the office. From the use of the fireside chats and televised televised debates and viral tweets, is media savvy becoming a more valuable tool compared to building a strong governing resume or even mm. insider politic political gamesmanship? Uh that's a that's a really fun question. I think that. Nurturing your persona has 
always been super valuable, uh, knowing how to work the media of your day. And this starts with Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, when he's Secretary of State in the Washington administration, and he disagrees with what Washington and Hamilton are doing, he uses government funds to start a opposition newspaper and then lies about it. And he uses this paper to basically build an opposition party and later run for president and, and oppose all this stuff. He harnessed media, and he, he also created an illusion of who he was. I mean, Thomas Jefferson is a man who inherited all the wealth in the world, owned a ton of slaves, grew up with all the privilege you could ask for, and yet he presented himself as a simple country American. You know, when, when he ran against John Adams, John Adams, who lived on a simple family farm, did not own slaves, and still went out and did his own yard work, John Adams was presented as an aristocrat, as bringing the monarchy back. Well, Thomas Jefferson was, he's an American guy like you, shucks. So even from then, and, and you've seen certain presidents use that to win. It's a really effective, if you can control the messaging medium of your day, then you have a huge advantage to winning the presidency. So if the question is, you know, to becoming president, is that important? Yes. Now, being a successful president, you better have that experience. I, I hope you have built that resume that political experience. I hope you know how to play the political game. The, the first person talked about Jefferson, he had done that. So he, he, he put on the persona to win the office, but he, he had been in the cabinet. He had been a governor. He had been, you know, around the block. And so he knew how to play the political game and have a successful administration from the terms of accomplishing his will. You know, uh, if we call a successful presidency doing what you want to do, having that be done. Very successful. Um, but then there were later presidents who might have played that game really well and then not succeeded or been less successful when in office. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example of that. Harding is... I'm, I'm not going to say if Harding falls in that yet. We've got an episode coming up on him. We'll see how successful he is. Um, you could... I'll just say look at... Let's jump to recent history. Let's look at Donald Trump, someone who certainly built a personality, but we frequently saw him say he wanted to do things, and then those things wouldn't get done, or he would change his mind. I remember him saying, uh, after a shooting, let's stand up to the NRA, let's ban these rifles, let's, let's not do that anymore. And then he met with the NRA, and then he changed his mind. You know, he, he realized, oh, I, I can't do that. And there were other examples, you know, him, he made a lot of campaign promises. We're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. That was not something that could be done in reality. So that was someone who certainly used media and his media persona that he had convinced people of, that he was a successful businessman uh, to win the office. But then once he was in office, there were so many things he said he wanted to do that he was not able to to get done or he had to back down on because he did not have experience in governance. So if Jefferson was our first newspaper president, Harding was our first radio president, Reagan was our first <laughs> movie star president, Trump was our first TV TV president, are you excited or terrified of the first TikTok president? Oh my God. <laughs> well, 
China will let us know when uh, when we get when they're gonna pick a, a TikTok president for us. <laughs> All right, Texas KV asks, "Do you plan to go back and do historian interviews about some of the earlier presidents?" It wasn't until the in-depth exploration on James Buchanan's life, legacy, and sexuality that we got a sub-episode with an expert. So what about Presidents 1 through 14? This is a question that I've, I've really been thinking about, and I, I can't say for sure. You know, I'll, we'll kind of have to see where I am when I get to the end of the series and they get all caught up. Uh, I've thought about potentially repackaging all the episodes into like a season that's just the um, the narrative episodes and then a season that's all the historian interviews. But I feel like that might kind of blow up the flow because that's how I recorded it. But should I go back and do interviews on those earlier presidents? I think I might like to. That might be a way for me, once I'm all cut up and in modern times, you know, things will taper off because I'll have to wait four to eight years to get a new president to talk about. So I might come back every now and then with a, another historian interview about Presidents 1 to 14, or maybe even whenever a, a new book comes out, exploring any president at all. I, I can try to get, see if I can swing and get that historian to come on and talk to me about what is new about this president that warranted another book, you know? So uh, that is definitely something I'd love to do. All right. Bonus question from Texas KV. Can you work in any more references to old Fuss and Feathers? Old Fuss and Feathers! My favorite person of the 19th century. He shows up more than anybody, even Henry Clay. I, I, I think, sadly, that we are past old Fuss and Feathers, unless I try really hard. And I'm going to try really hard. So we're, we're going to see. I'll, I'll see if I can find some kind of historic things, like... This is the first person to do this thing since all oh, fuss and feathers and, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So, um, yeah, I'll work on it. Appreciate the challenge. <laughs> all right. Uh, Donald, I'm going to guess it's Blaze. Nope. You know, I interact with Donald all the time on Twitter, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name, and I feel horrible about I'm that I'm going right to say now. it a few different times yeah. in a few different ways. Cool. And maybe one of those will be right. Let's go for it. Donald Blaise Jr. or Donald Blyce Jr. Donald Blaise Jr. One Maybe of those. he just goes by Junior. Okay. Donald Jr. Oh, wait. That sounds like someone else. <laughs> On Twitter asks, of all the presidents you've covered so far, which would you sit down with and enjoy a cup of coffee? I like this question. My, my, I have like two cheeky answers that come to mind. So I just got to say them because they, they need to be said. And, uh, the first is, uh, William McKinley, who was decorated during the Civil War for, uh, riding a wagon across a battlefield to deliver coffee to soldiers in the midst of a battle. So, I mean, I feel like if, if I want to know that someone's going to be on time and they're going to meet me for coffee, like it's him. I'm not going to get stood up by that guy. Uh, the, the second is T Theodore Roosevelt, who I've seen it speculated he might have drank like two gallons of coffee a day, and it would just be wild to, to sit down and watch him just, I imagine, jittery and shaky as, as he drinks out of the largest coffee cup I've ever seen in my life. I presume he just had like a gallon-sized coffee cup. So I'm going to change this question because I know my husband doesn't drink a lot of coffee. Mm -hmm. Who would you want to sit down with and enjoy a cup of hot chocolate? Ooh, hot chocolate. No, no, no. I'm asking about the per the question. 
I think you're misunderstanding the question. I think I'll have marshmallows in my hot chocolate. <laughs> my shit is not about beverages. Yeah. It's about shooting the shit. Um, it might go, like, the out of the blue answer might be to pick Chester Arthur, who I was talking about earlier. This is a guy whose nickname was the Gentleman Boss, and by all accounts, he was a fantastic smooth, uh, smoozer? Schmooze. Schmoozer. Schmooze. Schmoozer. And storyteller, and gregarious, and funny, and, uh, so that might be the, the unexpected, um, pick. Uh, if, if not him, you know, one thing that all presidents kind of have in common is almost all of them have your reputation for just being great one-on-one. For just being like, they will captivate you, they'll make you feel like you're the center of the universe. How many times have I read in a biography that this politician was really good at making you feel like you were the only person in the room or the center of the universe when they talk to you? So there's probably like no wrong answers. Uh, Abe Lincoln is, is another one that I feel like doesn't usually get brought up here, but uh, he, he was known for telling jokes. And so I think it would be fun to just sit with Abe Lincoln and, and swap stories and hear some of his jokes and frontier humor. I'm personally disappointed you didn't pick Obama, but we'll move on. All right. Parker Curie asks, have you ever been to George Washington's Mount Vernon? I have not. I would like to. That would be cool. Um, but I have not. Uh, you know, quite a few of those East Coast historic sites like that would be interesting to go Excuse me, to go to. I'll have to get on that. Katrina Meyer asks, In my day job, I'm a transportation planner. Which president, in your research so far, have you found um, doing the most for transportation, either for people or for commerce? So this is a fun question, and this was asked on Twitter, and uh, or I, I, I posted on Twitter, and uh, I so many people jumped up with the first answer that, that comes to mind, and, and that is, Eisenhower. Eisenhower built the highway network, which, you know, huge, given how Americans live today. Uh, but I have not technically researched him yet. I am reading about him right now, and in the book, he has not built a highway yet. So I'm going to I'm gonna scratch him out on technicality, even though that is a really good, obvious one. She did ask in your research so far. Yeah. And so I'm then going to go to, uh, after doing a bit of thinking, I think the next big one is... Theodore Roosevelt, Panama Canal. Hmm. How much of the global trade passes through the Panama Canal every year? How important was that to the development of, of the West and of the world? And, and especially at the time it was open and throughout history, how much did it open up the United States to even have any interest in what was happening in the Pacific Ocean? That was huge. And, and really, I mean, that, that might be bigger than the national highway system it it might be which is how important it is to global trade even though you know the highway system the americans still own the panama canal we don't anymore uh but that is certainly i think of the mm. presidents i've covered that comes to mind i do want to throw so that out, would be commerce so I, would you have a different answer for people um no the, the people and commerce well let's see if, if we're talking people hmm. uh here's a good one for people abraham lincoln who had uh, signed the bill uh, uh, funding the construction of the first transcontinental railroad. 
So that's a really big one. Another big one that's very important. Transcontinental Railroad, another guy that you don't, and especially Lincoln, you have so many other things to think of and to come to mind when you think of Lincoln. Transcontinental Railroad, that one you know, sneaks by, it's like so much lower. Any other president, you'd be like, look at what he did, he built this railroad. But Lincoln, you're like, <laughs> Civil War, freed the slaves, all this other stuff, you know? Um, so he's another one. I, I do want to give honorable mention to the, we haven't talked about him in a long time, early 19th century, presidential wannabe, Henry Clay, who proposed the American system, which was so about building ports and waterways and, and supporting internal infrastructure. If he ever had one, it could have been him, because this was, that was like his whole thing. But he never did win. So sorry, Henry Clay. All right. Nathan, uh, sorry, Darren Nathan. Um, asked, which 19th century president do you think would fail to get elected if they had the media coverage that we do today in campaigning? So his hypothesis being Madison, who was quite small, Lincoln, who was notoriously not very attractive, or Jackson with his first wife controversy. Oh, I think we've proven there's nothing wrong with wife controversies and exes and all that. That's not going to stop you from getting elected today. So which 19th century presidents do you think would fail to get elected if they had the media coverage of today's campaigns? Um, let me think a bit. I feel like Jefferson, no problem. Madison, Monroe. <laughs> John Quincy Adams might be it. Because, like, there's nothing negative to talk about. He just wouldn't have played that game. You know, he, 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 he was the most non-political politician. He did not play the newspaper game. You know, he got elected because everybody knew he was the most qualified and, like, okay, I guess we have to elect him, practically. Uh, but he, he is somebody who, like, if, if a journalist tried to interview him, he'd probably be like, your questions are stupid and you're wasting my time. You know, like, that's... <laughs> No filter. <laughs> no filter. I mean, like, he, he has more charm than I'm giving him credit for, but I just feel like he didn't play the game back then. He would not play the game today. Uh, it's why his administration was so spectacularly unsuccessful. So I, I think John Quincy Adams might be the one, even though it's funny because in terms of, like, skeletons in the closet, the man has none. Like, he has no skeletons. He, he was the only president of his era, other than his father, who did not own slaves, for example. Um, by all accounts, we understand he was loyal to his wife. You know, like it, it seems that he stood for all the right things, but he just wouldn't have played the media game right. And so, you know, people would have been like, uh, the, the same stuff that he got accused of. You know, he, he got accused, he was an ambassador to Russia where he was good friends with the czar and people accused him of being the czar's pimp. Yeah, I know. Like that sounds like the kind of crazy thing you would hear today. But even back then, like that's the kind of thing that would get brought up. They'd be like, you were pretty friendly with the czar. Were you a pimp? John Quincy Adams. Just asking questions, folks. Was he pimping for the czar? Just asking questions, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, and he just wouldn't play the game. So I, I thank him. All right. Penultimate question. Yeah. Which president would make the best college football coach? <laughs> uh, I think the president that would make the best college football coach, if I'm, if I'm sticking to presidents I've covered so far, um, maybe, because none of them have played football yet, as, as far as presidents I've 
covered. Oh, Theodore Roosevelt played a little bit of football. He loved football. He helped create the NCAA. Um, so maybe Theodore Roosevelt, but also maybe Ulysses S. Grant. I mean, he was a friggin' awesome general. He, he might have been a good football coach, too. Just have that demeanor for leadership. Uh, if we're talking about presidents I haven't covered yet, I mentioned I'm reading about Eisenhower right now. Eisenhower coached high school football teams while he was in the Army. And uh, had some decent success at some of them. So maybe Ike, the, the one president I'm aware of so far who actually had football coaching experience. Who was that question from, Deborah? Uh, that's from Stephen in Arizona, Kenny's brother. Uh, yeah, Stephen. Me and Stephen love college football. Um, okay, final question. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're still listening to this, I think this will interest you. <laughs> Kenny, tell me about your process. How do you go about making these podcasts? Ah, how do I go about making these podcasts? So, I read a biography on each president and just kind of work through an order. That's the first step. And um, so, you know, this this is not an academic process. You know, this is a get to know them. And they, what's surprising is how much that they come up in the, the biographies of presidents around them and how much biographers poo-poo the presidents around their guy to make their guy look better. Like when I'm reading about Hoover, Hoover's just dumping all over FDR, you know, that biography. And I'm reading about FDR, that biography's dumping all over Hoover and, and a little bit on Truman. And then Truman's dumping a little bit on FDR and a little bit on Ike and then Ike's dumping a little bit. So you get a little bit of the, you know, the, the good, you hear the good generally in your biography and the bad's kind of tut-tutted. And then the other biographies around it will be like, well, the reason, uh, Truman lost to Ike is cause let me tell you, you know. Uh, so that's, or, well, Truman didn't lose to Ike, of course. He didn't earn free election. But, you know, they, they'll get into that. Um, so that's what I do first. I read a biography of each president. I take notes. And that's almost like the outline is from those notes. Then I'll go back. I will uh, write a first draft from that. I try to stay one to two months ahead of schedule or more if possible. Right now, I am definitely not hitting that pace because Harding is supposed to come out in two weeks and it's about 50% written. So I really need to catch back up and get back ahead of things. It's been a busy summer. Um, but, uh, and, and then I'll go back and I'll try to edit it when it's closer to recording day, tidy things up, fix things up. In the course of writing, I'll often find I have questions and that's where I'll look to other resources. Um, maybe, maybe like Library of Congress or other things, you know, find a reputable place to confirm this or clarify that. On average, how many presidents are you sort of working on at a time? Reading about, writing about, recording about? Um, I guess I'm usually maybe three to six kind of in my head at a time. So like right now, I'm just wrapped up Wilson. I'm writing about Harding. And then I've got Coolidge on deck, followed by Hoover, FDR, Truman. I have read all six of these guys' biographies. And I'm reading about Ike right now. So that is, you know, depending how you're counting it, six or seven uh, ahead of the curve. And, and these people are just kind of floating around in my mind. All right. I said this was the last question, but I do have one more. Mm, lies. What? It's the foundation of marriage. <laughs> um, what has surprised you most about yourself in creating this podcast? What has surprised me the most... Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> what have you learned about yourself in creating this podcast? Hmm. I think I've I've learned how much I enjoyed the 
making friends part of it and meeting other podcasters and collaborating with them. That's been really fun. Uh, and also the talking to historians part. Uh, that's probably the biggest shocking lesson is that historians will talk to me when I <laughs> reach out. And I'm like, hi, I'm Kenny. I host a podcast. Want to talk about presidents? Any closing words? Mm, I'm still thinking about that hot chocolate we were talking about earlier. So do I, do I need to meet a president for the hot chocolate or is that something that we can just arrange between us? You already had ice cream. Mm. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we can have hot chocolate later. Yay. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Get yourself some hot chocolate. Um, tune in in a couple weeks for Warren G. Harding. As we talked about, one of the first media presidents, a president who, who really is going to have just such scandals. You're going to have so much fun with this one. Um, it will get a little racy at times. You so might blush. You might blush. Fair warning on that front. But uh, we'll have Warren G. Harding coming up next. Uh, thank you so much. Have a good one. <laughs>